Welcome into a third floor edition Memorial Stadium Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Brunts here on Tuesday, just an hour after the introduction of Fred Hoiberg at Nebraska as, I believe, the 28th basketball coach. Number 28. In the program. Uh, also the only one that has won games in the NCAA tournament, I think, of, of the stretch of coaches that have been here. So that's that's exciting in itself. Uh, kind of a fascinating day and for me uh and, and you can comment on this if you want to i very surreal for someone who's watched a lot of nebraska basketball a lot of uh different coaches that have been here in my lifetime four different ones uh leading up to, to fred hoiberg having him up there uh it was unique it was different and it felt a little bit like a coronation ceremony in some ways here uh at memorial stadium a lot of people here on hand, the cheerleaders on hand to greet him as he came out. About conservatively 712 family members uh, from the area of who, Fred Hoiberg. Who were all from Nebraska. Yeah, that was <laughs> when he was rattling off, that was insane. He's got a lot of family here. You can certainly see that there's a pull to this area, and you know we can get into to what he spoke about here shortly, but a very interesting day, and, and frankly, in a program that hasn't had a ton of them, what feels like it could be a very bright day for Nebraska basketball. Yeah, this is my fourth uh, Nebraska basketball coach on the beat, I believe. And, you know, when, when you're having a press conference on the, the third floor of Memorial Stadium, it's kind of like that, that's where you go to make your big announcements. Uh, and, and, you know, getting Fred Hoiberg is a definitely a third floor uh, type of event. And, you know, somebody that has won more NCAA tournament games uh, in, in four years at Iowa State than Nebraska has as a program, which, I mean, that, that's, you know, a pretty low bar, I guess. But, um, you know, the success he had there, the way that they played in a very exciting uh, manner, up-tempo, lots of scoring, uh, it, it, it really did feel it, not the same as Scott Frost being announced, but it felt like it had some gravity to it. And, you know, you, you had the family there and, and went through that. You had the, some, some members of the team that played for his grandfather at Nebraska, which was pretty cool. And, you know, it, it's – Tim Miles, I think you have to give him credit for raising the bar in terms of excitement level for Nebraska basketball. The, re, the arena played a part in that. But, you know, th- this felt like a different hire and, and one that's definitely kind of out of – out of character for Nebraska basketball, but in a very good way. Yeah, it had to be uh, a special situation for this to come together the way that it has. And, and I think that Nebraska's resources that they can offer, Nebraska's uh, enthusiasm that we've seen in basketball, the attendance in recent years, it's all there. And, and Bill Moose spoke both during the press conference and after in a breakout group about how he feels pretty strongly that this program is positioned to not just be a, a team that can go to the tournament every couple years and maybe make a little noise, he thinks they're positioned to be a team that should be challenging in the upper echelon of the Big Ten. And that's pretty bold talk for a program that, you know, isn't necessarily known for basketball success, even though they have two top four finishes in, in their Big Ten history. But it's going to be really interesting to see how quickly Fred Hoiberg can transition in that regard. And what the where it levels out at. Because you look at the Big Ten, and this year was a great example. I mean, if, if Nebraska had been firing on all cylinders, they had a team that could have competed for a Big Ten championship yep. in basketball. That's not yep. going to be every year. But now you look at what Hoiberg has done at Iowa State, 
it really does kind of open your eyes that there are cycles in the Big Ten in basketball where you're going to catch Ohio State isn't going to be as good. Michigan and Michigan State, while very good, Michigan State obviously playing in the Final Four, had their own issues that they had to go through the year. And Purdue was just as good as, as some of these other teams, even though you wouldn't have maybe thought that. So the, the door is wide open, and Moose really wanted to to push that when talking afterwards, too. It, it seems to – I've always kind of thought that, that Nebraska – you know, if you're looking for, and you know, people probably hate this in football, but it, I think it's definitely true in basketball that if you're looking for an example of what Nebraska basketball can be, I think Wisconsin is still a very good example from the standpoint of, you know, you, you they play a very specific style of basketball. They've had a ton of success playing that style of basketball through multiple coaching staffs in an area that has some, um, you know, high major recruits, but not a ton. You know, you don't have to win the Big Ten every year. You you, you have to finish top half and, and have a pretty good shot to get in the NCAA tournament and all bets are off once you get there. I mean, it's – I think Nebraska can be towards the middle of that pack every year. Um, it's just the consistency has just been so hard to come by. Part of that's recruiting and I think part of that's style of play. I mean, it, there's a number of factors that, you know, are well documented, but – I, I think that what Fred Hoiberg showed at Iowa State is you can play the right mix of, transfer, of transfers of four-year guys and, and have success. And, and know, consistency. And I mean, consistency, that's, that's yeah, the biggest yeah. word that you just said there. I mean, he basically, after his first season, mm -hmm. really demonstrated a, a consistency at Iowa State at a level in the Big 12, very good basketball conference, which is challenging year in and year out that you can have the success in the Midwest by what you just said, doing a variety of recruiting. Mm -hmm. I think if there's one narrative that has more or less been destroyed by Tim Miles since he's been here is you can get high-level basketball players to right. live in Nebraska. Yep. You no longer have to go out and win the recruiting battles you used to. Transfers has totally changed the way the basketball rosters are built. One and Dunce have changed the way the basketball rosters are built. And I think Fred Hoiberg found that success at Iowa State. Miles tried to replicate it, and he did to a degree here at Nebraska, but he showed that you can have that success and you take Hoiberg's acumen as a coach, his success that he's had, the assistance that he's brought with him, and we think who he will be bringing with him to Lincoln, it sets up that recipe mm -hmm. that they can have that level of success here and the consistency because that's the biggest thing. Miles had fleeting success. It wasn't consistent. Right. Yeah, and it's we'll actually have Alex Halstead on the podcast here in a few minutes. I talked to him earlier today. Uh, he covers Iowa State for 24-7 sports. He talked a lot about, you know, kind of the, the recipe that Hoiberg used, not only offensively but also on the recruiting trail to really kind of get that thing turned around. I, I think that's going to be a good listen, or at least I hope it is. Um, from, from what he said today, um, you know, not a ton of surprises in terms of, um, you know, kind of what he wants to do offensively. Um, they, they want to play a lot of possessions. They want to shoot threes. Uh, they want to get to the rim, and they, they basically want to be every offensive dream that Nebraska basketball fans have had uh, for the last couple decades as they've weathered four-minute scoring droughts and rock fight offense. Um, so on a level from one to baseline to baseline, how much do you believe this talk in the introductory po uh, press conference? I was just glad he didn't compare it to tennis. I was afraid he was going to compare it to tennis, um, baseline to baseline. So, you know, it, it's – that's the type of offense they want to run. Um, now the challenge is, with the roster they have now, how do you get to that point? Uh, Isaiah Roby was up here. He is going to be 
he, he has his name in seeking uh, feedback from the NBA draft board. He's going to go through the process much more uh, deeply than he did last year. It was basically a request, some feedback, and then he went back to school. Um, you know, you, you have uh, Thomas Allen with his name in the transfer portal right now. Uh, Fred Hoiberg said he's leaving uh, this week to try to solidify the three uh, commitments uh, who have already signed with Nebraska. In addition, he's spoken to all three of them, I believe. Talked to them already. Uh, wanted to get out and see them too. Because, uh, you know, right now Nebraska, you've got Sean Burke coming off of a, a sit year uh, from a transfer. You don't really have a point guard uh, with experience at Nebraska on the roster. Uh, Roby's decision is going to weigh heavily on what kind of the post depth looks like. Uh, so, you know, he, he could be facing a, a kind of roster rebuild like he saw his first year at Iowa State where he had four or five scholarship guys when he walked in. And that's that makes it challenging for sure. Yeah, I mean, to, to say the least. And But it does create a blank slate, which allows him to kind of build what he sees fit. And you can sell the opportunity pretty easily to – both your transfers and your grad transfers and your four-year players that, look, I mean, there's nothing set in stone here. I'm going to be very curious what Isaiah Roby does. I don't know if there's a big reason for him to come back. Particularly, I know that everybody wants to talk about what Hoiberg could do for him in terms of the NBA. I don't think that he would move up a lot in terms of draft stock to where he's already at. In addition to, you're asking a guy to give up a gear in which he could end up getting paid regardless of where he plays, whether it's the G League or the NBA, or over in Europe, to come back to what you just described for a roster, like that's going to be pretty hard. So I think some of the decision for somebody like Roby is going to be, well, who else is here? Right. And that's going to be true for a lot of these guys. Because if, if you're looking at a what could be an ugly year because it's just a transition year, and you only have one year to play or two years to play if you're Thomas Allen, the grass is going to look greener despite how exciting and intoxicating it might be to play for somebody like Fred Hoy. Yeah, and it, it's, you know, the the decision, I guess, that those guys have to weigh, too, is, which is a positive for Nebraska in some ways. I mean, you already have, what, 500 people in the transfer portal already? I mean, it's, that that's a pretty big, um, you know, kind of free agency pile to sift through if you're Fred Hoiberg. And, um, you know, I, I think Nebraska can be a really compelling destination for somebody who has a year left because, you know, you can sell the offense. It's the Big Ten. Uh, you know, Hoiberg had, what, nine guys from Iowa State playing the NBA during his time from his time there. Um, you know, those guys are making quick decisions. It's not a long, drawn-out two-year recruitment like it is with a four-year player. So uh, they, they can maybe get that roster turned around quickly, and I, I think that's what they're going to have to do. Um, you know, with Roby, the interesting thing would – the only thing I could see that would, you know, potentially help his stock – uh, with playing for Fred Hoiberg is, you know, if he can show that he can hit the three-pointer consistently back towards what he was doing more his sophomore year versus this past year where he was, uh, I think, hesitant is probably a fair way to put it uh, with a pump fake uh, that, that we saw a lot. Um, that, that would be one area I could see where that might uh, behoove him to maybe come back. But, yeah, I mean, when you're talking about an opportunity to make money anywhere uh, versus, you know, maybe a – you know, a 500 team or a little bit better than that. I mean, that, that's something you certainly have to weigh. Was there anything that stood out to you uh, particularly about the way that this came together? Because, you know, we'd been hearing for a while that these discussions were ongoing. Apparently they met March 4th, uh, which I believe was... First time they met in person. Yeah, so that was 
Nebraska was still in its regular season um, at that point. So was there anything that kind of came together? You, you talked to Bill Moose a little bit afterwards. Yeah, I I think that it, it kind of lines up with what we have been hearing. I mean, they, they heard – they spoke through a conduit, I assume, much earlier than March 4th. And he even mentioned, I mean, Nebraska's golf coach – uh, was Fred Hoiberg's college roommate. And so uh, someone asked Bill Moose afterwards when he hired Hankins, I believe, last spring, if that was knowledge that he had at that time. And Moose just kind of smiled at him and said no. Uh, but that kind of made me laugh that the idea that he would be thinking that far ahead. I mean, Hoiberg was still with the Bulls at that point. You have no idea how things are going to play out. And Nebraska golf deserves someone better than just, you know, a potential coach's roommate. But the connections are real, and, and I think that certainly helped out. And, uh, you know, that was one of those conversations early on that I, I would venture to say he didn't put an approximate date on when that happened, but I would guess that it was in January when things had started to slip away, particularly late, uh, that that was the first time that Hoiberg's name had come to him and that he had someone he could actually ask, well, what do you think his level of interest would be? And they could work off of that. And so I, I think that. You know, and Moose said this repeatedly, and he has to, but I, I do believe it to a degree because he is competitive and he wants winners. He didn't want to go into a full conversation with Hoiberg until he knew exactly where this thing was going to go. And yes, Nebraska had their slide, and yes, it seemed very likely early in February that this is where you were going to go. But he, you know, was pretty dead set on saying that numbers, figures, none of that were discussed even in that, that March 4th meeting. I mean, I, and Hoiberg was a, a catalyst to that. He didn't want to talk about it either when Nebraska was still playing and there was an opportunity that they could maybe play deeper. So I, I think that they both handled it as professional as possible. I know there's been a lot of discussion about the decorum as to what you do in those types of situations. And really, you know, I, I'm with Bill Moose and the idea you got to have your guy when you're going to make a move. Right. And, you know, he was very happy that his guy was the number one guy that he wanted. In Fred Hoiberg, uh, I think he's very happy with how it all played out, uh, despite the conversations from the national level and even here on the local level as to what Nebraska was going to do in, in that time frame. They got their guy. At the end of the day, you were able to have, like I said, what felt like a coronation. You had what is always awkward when there's just a room full of people staring at an elevator. Getting off of that elevator is Bill Moose and Scott Frost and Ronnie Green and, uh, you know, the Hoibergs. It was it was just surreal in a lot of ways. It's 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 a better elevator ride though than the one in two thousand three when it was Steve Peterson, a couple of NU administrators, and a bunch of really pissed off Nebraska football players after Frank Solich got fired. These are, these are more fun elevator rides yeah. to, to to watch. I would imagine that that uh, you know they probably didn't have the little vault mock up on that <laughs> elevator for Steve Peterson at that time. They had ample ample time to do it over the next forty two days though. Um, so we're, I guess, at a breaking point right now. When we come back, we'll have Alex Halstead uh, joining us, me, uh, from Cyclone, Cyclone Alert, uh, the 24-7 Sports Network, talking Fred Hoiberg uh, and kind of what Nebraska fans can expect with this hire. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, welcome back to the podcast. We're joined now by Halstead of 47 Sports, Iowa State for Cyclone Alert. Uh, Alex, first off, thanks for joining us. Uh, how are things going in Ames today? Going well. Uh, yeah, it's, it's good to be on with you. I think we're talking on the day of uh, Fred Hoiberg getting introduced, which is it's a touchy subject here in Ames. Um, but uh, yeah, it's good to be on with you talking about it. Good deal. Uh, first off, I guess your your reaction to Fred Hoiberg um, ending up at Nebraska, um, probably not a place that a lot of people saw nationally being an option. Maybe you know, month, month and a half ago. But but what do you kind of make of that move from uh, the Iowa State point of view? It's interesting to see how it all came together. Obviously, you know when when the Chicago Bulls stuff happened, when when he was let go, you know the speculation kind of ran rampant from there late last year, and that was. You know, I think around here, a lot of the talk initially was like, you know, maybe he'll end up at UCLA or he'll end up with the Minnesota Timberwolves back in the NBA. I think those were two, two, um, I guess, you know, one's a school, one's an NBA organization, but two places, two destinations that people thought, hey, this is maybe where Fred will end up. I think there were there are certain places that Iowa State fans probably didn't want to see him go. I think the Big 12, whether that was a Texas or a Kansas, which I think are places that people just floated around as, you know, possibilities for him down the road um obviously Iowa and then I think Nebraska has fallen into that a little bit it's a little bit of a different one but you know there's there's just I think a section of the fan base that is not happy about it and I think there's some that don't really care and just they just want to they want to get over the point of um people using Fred against I guess the prom and always comparing those two and, and I think that's their biggest worry for some fans is that you know, everything that Steve Prohm does here at Iowa State in the, in the years ahead is going to be compared to what Fred Hoiberg does at Nebraska. So it's definitely been interesting, an interesting dynamic. Uh, I started hearing rumblings about this Fred Hoiberg to Nebraska stuff being a real possibility um, in, in February, and it started to gain more and more steam. And I think it got to the point probably, I'm sure with you guys even too, where it's like, this seems like it's going to happen. And, um, and it did. You, you kind of mentioned just, you know, comparing uh you know to, to what fred did at iowa state i mean let, let's kind of get into to what he did at iowa state um you know when he got there and, and kind of got things rolling pretty quickly i guess how, how did he do that and and what kind of things did he do early uh, in his tenure there as head coach to kind of allowed uh them to have success pretty quickly there well i think the first thing he did was he kind of changed the game in in, in the sense of recruiting transfers and um I'm sure others have recruited transfers, but I think the way he went about it right from the beginning was what allowed him to have success in year two, three, and, and four. Um, the first year was a little bit of a down year. I mean, he 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 couldn't bring in the uh, the transfers to completely change things right off the bat. But, you know, with the sit-out transfers that he brought in that first year, it took them to the tournament and then the next three years. And so I think that was probably the, his biggest mark is just how quickly – 
he turned things around. Um, he really approached it, and I think he likes to approach it, and we'll see what he does in Nebraska. But as kind of a more of a NBA general manager mindset, and I think that's what he liked about transfers is it's a very short time period of recruit of a recruitment. You know, a kid transfers, and you know it's going to be over pretty quickly. You're not spending 12 to 24 months recruiting a high school kid and and having to chase them around. It's you're selling them a very quick thing on a one year, sometimes a few years. Um, and, and I think that's really one of the things he likes. You know, there, there was always the talk, and especially when he left for the NBA, that he, he really did not like recruiting. I think the transfer recruiting alleviated some of that because it is, it's recruiting, but it's, it's, it's recruiting in a different sense because you're not chasing guys around. And, and so that's, why he, that's how he had success right away. You know, you, you look at year two, and, you know, he had Royce White from Minnesota who had sat out, um, Chris Allen from um, Michigan State, Chris Babb from Penn State. Um, you, he brought in Corey Lucius from Michigan State. Um, I think through his time at Iowa State and in those four years, he brought in 14 transfers. Um, you could add a 15th and Nick Weiver Babb. He never played for Hoiberg, but he was recruited by Hoiberg. So 14, 15 transfers um, in, in a matter of four years. And that's really what led to his success. And that's really what, what people talk about is kind of the, the transfer thing with him. But, but I mean, he, he was still able to, to find four-year guys and, and develop them, though. I mean, I, I think the transfer thing is definitely part of it. But, I mean, can, can you kind of speak to his ability to develop players, too, and, and kind of what he did there? Yeah, you're right. And, and the transfer stuff gets overblown a little bit. I think fans actually actually probably became a little frustrated with it because Iowa State, would it's almost like a bingo card they would play on, on ESPN. And it gets mentioned, probably still gets mentioned, but it really got mentioned in that era about – transfers, 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 ignoring the fact, I guess, that he recruited George Niang, a four-year player who's now with um, the Utah Jazz. He recruited Nazmi Trulong, a four-year player, I guess a five-year player who's now with the Utah Jazz. He played, or he recruited Monte Morris, uh, a four-year player who's um, played in every game for the Denver Nuggets this season. Um, it, you know, those three guys are kind of his core guys. He recruited Matt Thomas, who's a very successful uh, guy overseas for Spain. You know, those are probably his, his core four high school guys that he recruited and developed. And so um, it wasn't just transfers. You're right. And, and it was transfers. It was high school guys. Um, the transfers were a little bit more prevalent because that's what allowed them to have quick success. But, but, you know, their foundation was still in a sense built on those four guys that were four year players and led to a lot of the success. And there were some, there were some high school guys he just missed out on. Um, Check Diallo. Um, I want to say he was a top 10 player in the country and he ended up at Kansas and, and there's debate on this, but there was some thought that he would have maybe ended up at Iowa state had Hoiberg not left. Um, you know, he had made, he was making his decision around that time. Hoiberg couldn't guarantee that he was going to stay in Ames and he went to Kansas and was a one and done player there. So there's, there were some other players. They were in on Rashad Vaughn who ended up going to UNLV. Um, Iowa state thought they had him late. He went to UNLV um, was a one and done, maybe a two and done. And then on to the NBA as well. So, he did get some high school guys, and, and he just missed on some that they feel like they could have gotten um, pretty late in the process. When he was out recruiting at Iowa State, I mean, how much of kind of his pitch or sell to these guys was, you know, the NBA background and his experience there, uh, I, I guess, and also just style of play, too? Yeah, that was definitely the pitch when you talk about transfers. I think he was like, okay, you guys have – a lot of these were grad transfers. Now, some of them – a few of them were sit-outs, but – um, you know, for, for the guys like a Royce White or, um, you know, a, a Chris Allen or whoever, 
whoever it was, those guys know they have a limited period of time, I think, with a transfer. I mean, just in covering transfer recruiting, what even at the high school or the football level now, it's these guys, they've been recruited before. They want to go somewhere. They're going to have a chance to showcase themselves for the next level. And that was his selling point um, to transfers is, hey, you come to Iowa State. I'm going to run a pro-like system. You know, offensively, it's it's very much uh, much like what he did with the Bulls in terms of just the pace of it, the the you know spreading out sometimes four guards, things like that. It's it can very much be NBA like at times, and I think that was his pitch: is you're going to show your showcase yourself in an NBA like system, and um, and we're going to prominently display you. And I think that's obviously what what transfers want to hear. Um, I think it's probably helped him. Uh, or it might help him now more so that he's been in the NBA and it probably help him. I assume with high school guys that he can say, Hey, I've been there for four years um, as a coach. In addition to his 10 years as a player before, you know, I've been there and I know, you know, how to get guys there. So I think, think that's going to be a selling point for him. And I think it's probably going to help in a sense that, you know, right now Iowa State's got five guys in the NBA that are on um, contracts. I think four, Four of them are on full-time contracts. One of them's on a two-way contract. But they've got five guys that are in the NBA playoffs this year. And Steve Brom coached them for several years. Um, but, you know, Fred Hoiberg was critical in bringing all five of them to Iowa State. Okay. We, we, we've had a couple names kind of come out as, you know, potential guys joining Nebraska staff. Matt Abdelmassa from uh, St. John's and, and also Iowa State. Uh, you know, the, the most prominent one right now, Charlie Henry. Uh, it's still kind of TBD on what his role is going to be, but he's going to be involved somehow. What what were kind of some hallmarks of Hoiberg's staff when he was at Iowa State and kind of specifically those two guys? Yeah, well, when you look at Matt Abbasi, I think the first thing was that he was his transfer guy. You know, he was the guy that was often connected to most of their transfers. Now, not all of them. Um, you know, they obviously, you know, you're going to have different connections on your staff that are that are connected to different transfers. But I think he kind of got the... I don't know if pigeonholes the right word to use, but he got kind of got earmarked, I guess, as he, this guy is the transfer guy for Iowa State. And, um, you know, he was critical, I think, in the recruitment of of a Royce White and, and different guys like that. Um, I think he's done a lot more high school recruiting, you know, when he was over at St. John's. Um, so I, I wouldn't necessarily say he's just a transfer guy. Uh, some of the high school guys that they brought in while he was at Iowa State um, kind of quickly flamed out. You know, they, they ended up elsewhere, but he obviously – um, had a lot of success on recruiting transfer. I think that's kind of what he got known for more so than X's and O's was as a recruiter. Um, when you talk about Charlie Henry, most of his time at Iowa State, I think was as a GA and then as a, um, uh, I guess, an analyst slash, a, you know, a specialist, uh, more so than a, an assistant. Um, he was behind the scenes, really thought of as Fred Hoiberg's offensive guru. Um, and, you know, he, he was kind of instrumental behind a lot of what they did offensively behind the scenes, you know, Hoiberg has a lot of trust in Charlie Henry um, in what he, what he can do as an offensive mind. Um, obviously that's a big part of, of Hoiberg's things. You know, people would often bring up some of their defensive liabilities, but they were a very good offensive team. And um, I know Hoiberg had a lot of trust in Henry to do that. Now, Henry only spent, I think one year as an assistant and that was the last year. Um, so most of his time was kind of behind the scenes, not as much as a recruiter, um, but depending on what he does in Nebraska, obviously he'll have to recruit if he's an assistant and, um, you know, he's been in the G league and things like that. Um, you know, Hoiberg, I guess the, the trust level there is probably shown by the fact that, you know, he took him to the NBA with him, um, to continue to be one of his offensive guys. A couple more questions for you, Alex. Um, joined again by Alex 
Paul Stead, uh, 24-7 Sports, covers Iowa State. Uh, talking Fred Hoiberg, uh, Nebraska's new basketball coach. It's kind of switching to, to on-the-court stuff. You know, Nebraska fans have, you know, I think through the years become a little bit accustomed to uh, lengthy scoring droughts, um, you know, and, and kind of uh, rock fight basketball at times. Um, what stylistically should Nebraska fans who haven't um, seen Iowa State play much expect from a Fred Hoiberg coach team? Well, I think first and foremost, it's it's going to be offensive focused. And I think Hoiberg's tried to get help through the years on on being better offensively or I'm sorry, defensively, because that's been kind of maybe one of the things where, you know, maybe people were have been most critical is that, yeah, your offense is great. But, you know, defensively, uh, you, you struggled at times. And, and that's obviously when you get defensive play tournaments, sometimes you got to be a little bit more balanced than Iowa State was at times. But offensively, they're going to get up and down the court um you know i think you look at hoiberg's last season um they were number 10 in tempo in the country um they were always around the top 25 offensively so they're going to be quick a quick tempo team um i don't know all the numbers i I do think his last year they were top 10 in tempo though like possessions per game are are big things for him and um he hates the long two um it's actually something that's crept up a little bit more here at iowa state recently is is the long two i know it's it's kind of goes like the daryl Morey thing and um mm-hmm. in houston with the houston rockets you know they they're anti-long two and that's very much Hoiberg's thing you know he he wants to be a running gun fast pace spread it out team um you know he, he, their spacing is a big thing you know that's kind of we kind of joked here at times you know there, there's some, kind of some Hoiberg terms that like as you start to cover the team more there's just these words that pop up a lot and and one of them is is spacing, and you know, so so I think a well spaced out offense that's going to get up and down the court and score. And the big thing for them is probably going to be defensively what they do. And um, I think he he probably maybe built on that a little bit with the Bulls. I think he had, you know, I think um, um, Boylan I think was a defensive minded coach. That was kind of why he was part of that staff. Um, so I think maybe that's a key is to bring in someone defensive minded. I think he tried that a little bit at Iowa State. You know, to always have an assistant that was a little bit more defensive minded. Um, to kind of keep him in balance. Doc Sadler was kind of that way for him a little bit there too, wasn't he? Yeah, Doc Sadler was early. Cornell Mann, who's now at Missouri, was later. I think kind of one of the defensive guy guys. So Hoiberg, I think, trusts himself, obviously, offensively. Charlie Henry, that was a big part of his role um, uh, offensively. And then defensively, it's, I don't – I think he, he, he has always kind of had a mindset of, you know – at times you can just outscore teams. And I think that's true to a degree, but there are, there are points, I think, especially when you get to the NCAA tournament and things are officiated differently, that you've got to still be a, have a good foundation as a defense. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, well, last question here for you, Alex. Appreciate the time as always. Um, when you kind of, you mentioned a little bit of this off air, but um, how does Fred maybe run his program in, in locker room? I mean, when you've got a guy with NBA experience and, and that's kind of how they approach things sometimes it can be a little bit different from somebody that's kind of out of the college ranks but how, how does he kind of run things uh, as a head coach yeah that's one of the the standout i think things that that when you talk to players of, of his era he's very loose um you know i think it's very much run like an nba um type locker room um i don't know the best way to describe that other than i think you know he's he's very very free on you can wear whatever whatever you want to practice you know you can wear the socks you want you can play whatever music you want i i don't know 
what it's like, I guess, at all programs. But um, I think that was actually kind of a learning thing initially here at Iowa State was, you know, Steve Prohm would come from a different background where they didn't necessarily have uniform shoes, but, you know, things are just done different by every coach. And I think Hoiberg's much more like, you know, you're as long as you're, you know, there for practice and you're whatever, you know, meeting all the responsibilities, you can do kind of whatever else, you know, a pretty loose locker room. And I think it's probably different for every team. I think, um, you know, there were obviously, I think, some various run-ins because of that. You know, maybe things got a little bit too loose at times. Um, but it's very much chemistry-wise, I think, run like a player-driven uh, locker room. And um, I think players embrace that. Um, but, you know, like like I mentioned there, there's, there's, also, there's also the aspect of, you know, sometimes there does need to be a little bit of structure. But I think all in all, um, it seemed to be something that, that played well. Now, that was interesting, though, because, you know, he went to Chicago Bulls, obviously. And, um, you know, this whole Jimmy Butler fiasco, I think, kind of <laughs> came to head with that. Because I think that was kind of the thing is he was so relaxed about um, various practice things. And I think some players adapt to that well and some don't, you know. And that's kind of the, the big thing with him is you just got to figure out which players fit that program. All right. We appreciate the time, Alex. Uh, Alex Halstead with uh, Cyclone Alert, 24-7 Sports Network. Appreciate the, uh, the insight and the time as always, Alex. And uh, definitely be interested to see uh, how the Hoiberg era gets started here in Lincoln. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, I know Iowa State and Nebraska scrimmaged uh, the last two years, I think, before the season. I don't know if those are going to continue anymore, but uh, it's definitely going to be interesting to see what Hoiberg does there. Once a little bit earlier today, as always, you can get all of your Fred Hoiberg, your Nebraska, your Nebraska basketball coverage at Husker 24-7. We'll be back with you with a three-person podcast a little bit later this week where we will go in-depth on Nebraska football and spring football. We got our first official visitor coming up this weekend. We had a junior day last weekend. We will cover all of that on Thursday.